welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. love that we are in the known series and it's really been resonating with our congregation. If you didn't get your known box, you need to get one. It's for your cell phones to go in so you can have dinner or you can have conversation without the cell phone interrupting. And if you follow me on Instagram, you know that uh, the girl that cuts my hair tests when I showed up, she had the known box there and she goes, put your phone in the box. We're talking today. So anyways, but a lot of you have been complaining that this is not big enough for your family. Like, great for the phones, but it's not for everything else. So we have come up with the family-sized known box. And um, we just want to let you know that you can take it, put their phones in there, throw that in, and you can put the kid's computer in, you know, take the remote control from dad, the kid's games. And we even got grandma covered, you know. If she's doing her knitting, you just say, Grandma... You stop that right now. Pay attention to your grandchildren and you stop your knitting, all right? So family-sized known box for you. Uh, it's, it's resonating. People are like, did you hear this? There's a story on the news, this, this, this. I get it. And people have been sending me cartoons of like, hey, this one is all about it. And I, I thought this one is cute. It shows all these people like the zombie apocalypse. And it said, the smartphone turned out to be good cover for the zombie apocalypse. And it has this guy walking around on a smartphone like that, you know? So anyways, but... All right, the zombie apocalypse is not real. All right, but anyways, uh, I love it, I love it. I had a, 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 an email that came from Thailand. Somebody was watching our sermon in Thailand and uh, hi to everyone online, wherever you're watching from. And uh, he sent me a picture of two monks that were sitting at the table, both on their cell phone across from each other, staring at their cell phone. And he said, they need your sermon and they also need to remember monks are banned from having a cell phone. So anyways, but... Put down your phone. Let's make some friends. Let's have that time for each other. Let's get together with one another. Let's uh, be a part of what God has for us in the relationships that he's placed into our life. And, and the title of my message today would be this. It would be, your resource is in your relationships. Your resource is in your relationships. And we're going to look at three different stories in the Bible to talk about friendship and, and relationships and things that are there for you to get all that God has for you in your life and the fact that you were made to connect with other people. And speaking of connecting with one another, I'm excited about this. We actually have our record number of life groups. We have over 500. It's the first time our church has over 500 life groups. So that's pretty good. 75% of the church is involved. So if you are not yet involved into a life group, please uh, get in there. Make your way in. Matter of fact, if you're in a life group, invite a friend into it. Um, Let's see this be uh, an even higher percentage. There's room for you. We just started them. You're coming in in week two. That's perfectly fine. And we'd love to have you in the life group. So... The Bible has a lot to say about friends. It really does. There's a ton in Proverbs, and I'll just read a few. 
But um, I'm not going to camp out in Proverbs, but Proverbs talks about friendship so strong. It says in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Proverbs 27, 9 says, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Proverbs 18, 24 gives great advice on how to be a friend. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Ecclesiastes 4 talks about friends. It says, woe to the one that falls down by themselves. You know, they don't have anybody to pick them up. Two are better than one. A threefold cord is not easily broken. And it's talking about the value of having a friend. And if you have a few friends, can I just say this? You are a rich man or you are a rich woman. If you have just one person that you could say is a true friend, you still are blessed. And I don't think it's possible to say today, I have too many friends. We need friends. We need people in our world. And our resource is in our relationships. God wants to do something with the people that are all around you. And he wants to bless you with those people that are there for you. We need to be true friends. We need to get to the level of, of really being a true friend. Aristotle came up with three levels of friends. He said there were three levels of friendship. And he said the first level was a friendship of utility. And he said, this is a friendship that is there only because I do something for you and you do something for me. A lot of guys have these friendships. They're business friendships. You say, that's my friend. But really, if that person quit their job, that friendship would dissolve. It's based on we do something. It's a transaction that takes place. He said it's a very low level of friendship. And I agree with that. He said, then there's friendship of pleasure, where somebody makes you feel good. Maybe they're witty, or maybe they're full of wisdom, and you love the way they stimulate the conversation. Maybe they make you laugh, and there's something that is in that exchange there. Maybe you have a hobby that you do together. And he said, once that stops, the friendship is over. Again, it dissolves. He said the greatest level of friendship was the friendship of the good, between good people for the good of each other. And he said, it's rare for us to get to that level where we really take the time. We really have the intimacy to get to that level of friendship. And that's where we're going to go next week. We're going to talk about the time and intimacy required to get to that best level of friendship. And I believe that Jesus had this with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I just believe that. When, when you read the way that he hung out with those people and when he spent time with them, And when you see the account of Jesus at the gravesite with with Lazarus being dead and it says Jesus wept, I don't think he just wept because they were mad at him. I don't think he just wept because he's like, they don't have faith in what I can do. I think he wept because he had a really good friend that was there. And he's like, I'm going to bring back my really good friend. I love this guy and I'm weeping in this moment. I believe Jesus achieved that great level and we should have that same goal to say, I want to be great friends with somebody. I want to have a good level of intimacy. The Bible talks about it's not good for a man to be alone. It's not good for a man to be alone. And I love what Dick Foth said in his book, Known. Again, it was great having him here with us last week. But I love what Dick Foth said in his book. He said, think about this. Aloneness is so bad for us. He said, it's so bad that when somebody's incarcerated and put in prison, the only thing they can think of to punish this person is to put them into solitary confinement, to put them in a spot where they are alone. And they're trying to say, we want to change the behavior. We want to punish you. You're already in prison, but we're going to make you uh, live in a world of aloneness and isolation. And it's a punishment. 
Harvard confirms the need for friends and they did this grant study and they said, you need friends. You and I need friends. We need good friends. We need to be friends and have good friends. It's the longest study that's still going on right now. And in 1938 to 1940, Harvard did a, a study on all these guys. It took about 240 guys. They were at Harvard. And they said, we're going to study them and see what makes them happy. Which career makes them the happiest? What amount of money makes them the happiest? What's going to really bring them true happiness? And you know what they found? It didn't matter what career. It didn't matter what money uh, level you achieved. What mattered was how many friends you had. Did you really have good friends? Were you able to go through life and connect with somebody and have somebody be there in your life? And that was the, the leading indicator for people's happiness. It said that having friends made you happier and having friends made you healthier. I went to my life group this weekend and I feel healthier. Do I look better? I feel skinnier. I just went to life group. Maybe that's a vibe. Anyway, some of you look like you could use to join three or four. I'm just saying, you get a little healthier. I'm just saying, all right? Get some friends in your life and see what God can do. And we realize we need friends. We need friends. Your resource is in your relationships. Three stories we're going to go to. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 tells about a story of some friends that opened a door when there was no door. And I'm telling you right now, a good friend will open a door for you and get you to your blessing. A good friend will open a door, they'll fight for you, they'll get you in to where you need to go, even if there's an obstacle in your way. And in Luke chapter 5, it says in verse 17, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your si friend, your sins are forgiven. He also went on after that to heal this man. He forgives him of his sins and he heals this man. Luke and Mark give us the account. They say the house was so full, there was no way for him to get into the home. It was packed. It was standing room only. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to have standing room only for a service. It's kind of exciting. We don't usually have that at River Valley because we'll just start another service, all right? But if you get an opportunity to go on Global Team Cuba... I'll guarantee you, you will have standing room only in church. The church may hold 50, 100, 200. Matter of fact, pretty much everybody on the team, if you want to preach, we'll let you preach that weekend, all right? And you'll be there in that church and there'll be 50, 100, 200. That's the most that it can hold. But there, the crowd will be 100, 200, or 400. It'll be standing room only. They'll be looking in through the window. It's amazing to see heads stacked up, looking in through the window, on top of each other, looking in the door, standing out into the street with speakers blasting out there. It's an amazing experience. So that's the picture I have in my mind. They tell us there was no room. And it said that these friends say, we're going to go up, up on top of the roof and we're going to take the roof off. And just for a moment, however I say roof apparently is wrong, all right? Uh, roof, 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 well, I don't know how to say it, all right? Every time I travel, they're like, that's cute, say that again. I'm like, what did I say wrong, all right? But the word that Mark uses really means to unroof the house, all right? And so if I say it wrong, they just took the top off, all right? That's what they did. But to, to let you understand how the top of the house was, the roof area, they would have a, a staircase and it'd be flat. If you have the opportunity to go to uh, Capernaum 
in Israel, you'll see an excavation in Capernaum where they believe Peter's house was right there. And you'll see the basalt stones and they would stack the stones up and then they would take logs and put them over the top and then take clay and straw and try to make it as waterproof as possible. It also was like a, a deck on the top of the home where they could go in the, in the heat of the day and be able to have a shady spot up there or in the night be able to sleep up there. So Mark tells us they actually unroof the house. They take the roof apart. They don't just like take tiles off of it. They actually have to pound the clay, loosen it, take the logs, move them out of the way, and then drop the guy in on Jesus. And I'm just wondering, at some point in the sermon, does Jesus stop and look up? Or does he like, pay no attention to them. I'm teaching. You know, I don't know what he does. But we know that they take the roof and they drop the man in there and they get him to Jesus. They get him to Jesus. And I thank God for friends that will open a door for me, that will push the door open, that will create a door. And I pray that you have friends in your life like these guys that will make a way for you to get to your blessing. I pray that, because here's what happens to a lot of us. We feel that there's a blessing we're supposed to enter into or something God is asking us to step into. And how many know that fear stops you. If you're by yourself, you're like, well, I don't know if I should talk. I don't know. But how many know when there's people around you like, come on, do it, do it. And that there's something about friend faith that, that pushes you into pretty amazing things because they just have the ability to push you forward. It can also get you into trouble. How many know that too? Like, do it. It's a guy. <laughs> don't do that side. But I thank God that one of these guys was like, Let's take the roof off. Let's get him in. That's how we can do it. And the rest, yeah. Because I, I can imagine if the guy had the opportunity to get there to Jesus by himself, he'd be like, there's no way in. No way in. But his friends were there to say, you know what? We're going to fuel your faith. And I pray you have friends that will fuel your faith. I, have, I, I pray that you have friends that when your mind shouts you down, your friends fire you up. And they say, you were made for that. You were supposed to go into that. You were supposed to step into that. Don't let doubt keep you away. Don't let fear keep you away from your blessing. You need to get in there. Uh, when I read Ecclesiastes 4, it says two are better than one. Woe to the one that falls down. I've never physically fallen down where I need someone to pick me up. But I have mentally and spiritually fallen down where I need people to pick me up where my doubts are cascading over me. And I'm like, I don't know if this is the right thing. I, what am I going to do? And I thank God for friends that do that. One time I was preaching on Easter weekend. All right. We, we've, we've done this a few times at River Valley. Many of you might know this. The, the bridge. We build the bridge on the stage. We do the bridge sermon. Okay. We talk about how Jesus is the bridge and we're Easter message. And at the end of the sermon, I ask everybody that has given their life to Jesus that day and the previous year to come up on the stage, walk across the bridge, shake my hand, all right? Well, the first time I ever did this, I was terrified. I'm over on the front row and I'm getting ready for service and I'm thinking, what if nobody walks across the bridge? What if nobody walks, what if I, what if I say, you know, because you have to get out of your seat, come up on the stage, you know, walk across the bridge. I'm like, what if nobody does this? And I'm like, what am I gonna do? Like, what's my backup plan? I'll have Becca go across the bridge. And I'm like, that won't work. They'll wonder like, is Becca not saved? You know, like, that's not good. Like, I, I'm panicking. And this is really happening. And one of our staff comes up to me and goes, listen, when you go to do the bridge thing, they are going to walk across that bridge. They're going to want to do it. People are going to get saved and they're going to come. Don't you back down. You go with boldness and you do it with all you've got. It's exactly what I needed in that moment. 
And I could tell you when I did it, I did it with boldness and hundreds of people walked across that bridge and said yes to Jesus. I thank God for friends that push us into our blessing. They open a door where there is no door. I thank God for a friend of mine, Dino Rizzo, roommate in Bible college. He became that kind of friend that pushed me into things. When I was thinking about starting River Valley, he's like, do it, do it. He said, man, you need to help me start this thing called ARC, the Association of Related Churches, which has turned out to be one of the most amazing church planning things in America. And it's starting to go around the world. We have ARC in China and Iraq and, and Ireland and Australia. It's, it's just going around the world. Canada just got one. I mean, so we're planning churches and he's like, hey, join me. I thank God for friends like that that will push me through the door. And you should too. So this week, Send a text, give them a phone call, write them a letter, have lunch with them. Thank God for the people that are in your life that push you through the door to your blessing. Second group, second group of people that get us to uh, blessings that we need to have. There are people in our life that are good friends that will double our joy and cut our sorrows in half. They're good. Now, I wish I would have said that line. That's, that's not my own. Dr. Dobbins, the, the founder of Emerge Ministry, Becca sits on their board. It's a wonderful counseling center. He said that we need good friends that will double our joy and cut our sorrow in half. And I don't have time to go into it. But Jonathan and David in the Bible in First and Second Samuel, if you look at their friendship, this is an amazing friendship of being able to double the joy and cut the sorrow in half. Jonathan was Saul's son. He was the rightful heir to the king and to the throne. But God didn't want Jonathan to have the throne. He wanted David to have it. So Jonathan knows that David is going to get the kingdom, not him. And you know what? Jonathan doesn't say, wait a minute, that's mine. He celebrates what God is doing in David's life. He doubles the joy. He truly is excited for what he's doing. David is excited for every victory that Jonathan is able to win. When they're having a, a horrible time, when, when it's the worst day of their life, when Saul wants to kill David and, and their friendship is being broken up, they're weeping within each other and they're, they're there to say, I, 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 I love you and I care for you. And they're able to cut the sorrow in half because there was somebody standing with them in that moment. Even though Jonathan would never know this, his sorrow was cut in half because after he died, one of his children, Mephibosheth, was taken care of by David. David was saying, it was sad that your family lost the kingdom, but I will cut the sorrow in half and I will take care of you for the rest of my life. I pray that you have friends that will double your joy and cut your sorrows in half. Somebody that when something good happens to you, you can talk to them and they don't, you know, get upset about it. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you do something simple as like you pay off your car, all right? You pay off your car. You're like, Who's, whose house are we going to drive to? And pull in their driveway, honk on the horn and go, it's paid off. Let's go to Dairy Queen, you know? And then you're like, oh, they, they won't like it. They won't like it. Let's just go to Dairy Queen. All right, you know, how many, cause, you know, you pull up in their yard. You're like, hey, baby, we paid it off. They're like, good for you. You're like, I don't think you're happy. I don't know. <laughs> you need somebody that you can call in the middle of the night when you're at your worst day. And they'll cut your sorrow in half and they'll be there for you. I pray, pray, pray that you have those people. And let me just give a quick marriage advice here too. Guys, let your wife have girlfriends that she hangs out with and that she goes through life with. Ladies that will help cut her sorrows in half and double her joy. And, and wives, let your husband have guy friends where he can hang out with the Monday night folk doing things and, you're, and he's, he's able to double his joy and cut his sorrow. Those people are there for those times of adversity. Don't smother them. Allow them to have those relationships in their life. 
All right, the third one. A good friend will get you to your miracle. A good friend will get you to your miracle. And you could say this is very similar to the first one, but I believe it's different. The other one's broken through a door to get to a blessing. This is a different one of providing something for a miracle. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, there's a story of a widow. And it says this, The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to the side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Now I want to point out the obvious person in her life that was there to help her with the miracle, which would be Elisha. It's believed that when she said, you know, my husband was in the school of the prophets. Like he was an understudy to Elisha. She's like, he was one of your disciples Please help us. He's, he's gone. There's no one to take care of us that we don't have extended family to go to. There's nothing. We need some help. And so it's obvious to say that Elisha did not step away from his position of responsibility to say, how can I help? But I want to point out somebody else that provided a miracle that was right around her. And it was in verse 3. He said, go to your neighbors and ask them to give you empty vessels. I want to tell you that her miracle was limited to the number of neighbors that would give her a vessel. Her miracle was limited to the neighbors where she goes, hey, do you have an empty, I need an empty vessel. Could you, can I just use that? And the neighbors actually provided the miracle and brought her the empty vessels. She's like, okay, now what if she was the mean neighbor? What if she was the one that was like, always like, get out of here, get out of my yard, you know, and just yelling, and, and the mean neighbor, and she's like, do you have any vessels? No, we don't have anything for you, you're mean. What if her kids broke everything? No, we can't give it to you, your kids break everything. She had some relationship. There were people that were around her that were able to provide a miracle in a very simple way by giving her a vessel. Your resource is in your relationship. There are friends that are all around you that God wants to bring miracles to you. God may want to bring a miracle to you through your neighbor. And I want to ask you this, do you even know your neighbor's names? What if God was today to speak to you and say, I'm going to bring a miracle to you and I'm going to bring it through one of your neighbors. Just tell me which one you want it to be. And you're like, blue house guy, that one, the him. He can, he can bring, the guy with the Volkswagen, yeah. What's his name? Just say his name and I'll bring the miracle. Blue House guy. Huh? We don't even know our neighbors. We don't know, we need to know our neighbors. Again, the miracle could be right there and it's, it's right there. Come on, we, we, need to, we need to do that. We need to open our hearts to the neighbors and say, come on, let's do this. You know, it's funny. One comedian was saying that we don't know our neighbors at all. We don't, we don't like people come to our house. We don't like people intruding. Like if somebody knocks on our door, we're like, hide, hide. Nobody hide. Yeah. We used to have this at our house. When the doorbell would ring, my mom would yell like, red alert, red alert. And that meant like throw everything in the closet. Somebody's coming at our home, you know. And then, you know, I knew two things. Red alert meant throw everything in the closet. And mom was bringing the Sarah Lee cake out of the freezer. You know what I'm saying? That's what it meant, you know. We were doing, so 
But do you know your neighbors? What if God wants to do a miracle through the hands of your neighbor? What if God wants you to be the neighbor to bring them just a, a simple thing? Side note about neighbors, I want to point this out. The Millers, the Clarks, the Sathers, the Zemers, and the Sellers are neighbors of ours that come to the church. I just want to point that out. They, we've extended our home. We've opened it up for Christmas. We've tried to be good neighbors. We try to invite people. They're like, hey, do you have a church? You know, and we've tried to invite these people into our church. And some of our very own neighbors have actually helped us to step into even some small miracles that I would say are pretty incredible. Our youngest son, Logan, was starting his company, little urbane, you know, jewelry thing. And he's going door to door in our neighbors, handing out cards. And he's like, I'm trying to start this Kickstarter thing. And, you know, just would appreciate if you want to donate online. And one of our neighbors, Summer Sellers, she said, you know what? Have you ever thought about doing a press release? He's like, what's that? What do you mean? She's like, do a press release. Get a hold of the TV. I, I've done this before. And she's like, here's how you do it. Da, 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 da. And she helps him do it. Fox 9 takes this press release, does a story on him. 15,000 later, his Kickstarter is all funded. Hey, your resource is in your relationships. And it's pretty simple. Hers was just a little word of advice. This lady's neighbors, all they did was say, here's our empty vessels. God could bring a, a miracle to your neighbors through just a kind word, a listening ear, uh, the use of your lawnmower, the, the you know, snowblower showing up in a couple months, you know? Honey, when you show up with a snowblower and your neighbor doesn't have one, they're like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Come on, your resource is in your relationships. And I'm just praying we'll realize that. They will say, God, let me build relationships in the church, in the workplace, in my school, in my neighborhood, in my family. Let me not let these things go by the wayside. Matter of fact, in the church, I want you to know the row you're in and the row behind you and the row in front of you, all right? You are creatures of habit. You sit in the same spot. Come on, get to know your neighbors here at River Valley Church and be able to pray with them and be able to say, hey, how's things going? How'd the football game? How'd this go? And how'd that go? Let's, let's realize every relationship is a bridge of favor that God wants to use you to bring a blessing or a blessing to come to you. It's a bridge of favor. God can just have so many things going on if you will build your friendships, build relationships, be in a life group and be the neighbor and the friend that you're called to be. And my prayer for our church is that we will be relationally rich relationally rich because I truly believe our resource is in our relationships. So Lord, I just pray right now that you'd help us to realize this. We, we have our relationships that are out there and our resource is in our relationships. We are blessed in so many ways. And I pray right now that we would have friends that would open doors for us and get us to our blessing. I pray that we would have friends that would, would be there that would double our joy and cut our sorrows in half. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would have friends that would get us to our miracle and we would be the type of friend to go to that level of a good friendship, a great friendship, where we're bringing people into blessing, where we're helping them through their struggles and where we're getting them to their miracle. Thank you, God, for this series. Help us to put down the phones, to put down the distractions and truly get to know one another, truly be there for one another. May we be relationally rich in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.